Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. The uh, 1989 movie Glory chronicles the struggles of the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Infantry Regiment, one of the first black regiments in the Civil War. It occurred to me when I referenced the movie from 1989 that many of you are, think that was eons ago, but it really wasn't. Uh, it was, uh, wasn't that long ago at all in the grand scheme of things. However, the, the 54th uh, Volunteer Regiment there was under the command of a white officer by the name of Robert Shaw. In spite of the title, glory was hard to come by for the 54th. As you can imagine, they suffered under acts of racial discrimination such as unequal pay and a lack of basic necessities like shoes. The 54th was recognized, however, for their valor at the Battle of Fort Wagner in Charleston in July of 1863. They were chosen to lead the direct assault against the fort, a virtual suicide mission. In the battle, they suffered heavy casualties, including their commanding officer, Shaw. Confederate General Johnson Haygood refused to to return Shaw's body to the Union Army and to show contempt for the officer who led these black troops, Haygood, had Shaw's body buried in a common trench with his men. However, rather than considering this a dishonor, Shaw's father proclaimed, we would not have his body removed from where it lies, surrounded by his brave and devoted soldiers. We can imagine no holier place than that in which he lies among his brave and devoted followers, nor wish for him better company What a bodyguard he has. In the film, the idea of glory was was almost an irony, especially in the end when the bodies of those deceased men are thrown into a shallow pit there on the beach. You see, glory was very much a human construct referring to, to fame and valor and recognition. However, as Christians, we understand glory to actually mean very little on this side of eternity. As we near the end of our journey, I want us to consider where we've come from. We started in a very good creation that was broken by sinful actions of the parents of the human race, Adam and Eve, which set into motion a plan that God had had already established that would lead to the undoing of the effects of sin and the curse. So we went at lightning speed through the Old Testament as we recognized that it was paving the way, pointing the way for the fulfillment of God's plan of ultimate redemption. We entered the New Testament and saw the fulfillment of all of God's promises through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we end the journey with the reality that one day God is going to restore creation to sinless perfection, just like in the garden. And God would there dwell with his people. That restoration will be ushered in by the promised return of the Lord. And if you didn't realize this, there are quite a few different opinions about what the return of the Lord Jesus Christ looks like. 
There's a lot of different thoughts, a lot of different ideas, a lot of different opinions about how that's going to take place. And you can, in your living room there can certainly engage in an exciting conversation about whether somebody's a dispensational premillennialist, whether they're a pre-trib, a post-trib, an amill, a, 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 I'm a pan-mill. I believe it's all going to pan out at the end when the Lord gets ready for it to. But regardless of whatever persuasion we find ourselves in thinking about the Lord's return, the fact of the matter is, is that we all agree that he is going to return. He's going to make a triumphant existence. He's going to pierce the sky and we shall behold him. What a day that will be. And when that happens, those who are dead in Christ will be resurrected from the grave and those who are alive will be called to meet the Lord in the air as Paul tells us. And all who've trusted in the saving grace of the Lord will spend eternity in the perfect, sinless perfection of God's infinite glory. What a day, what a day that will be. Now, this would not be a human construct about courage and valor, but instead glory is this eternal experience. It's what all of us who've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord will come to know one day. It truly represents the closing of a book and the opening of an existence that is greater than anything any of us can imagine. Now, there's a lot of confusion about what the hereafter looks like. There's a lot of, of, of thoughts and, and ideas and opinions about what that looks like, and thankfully it's not an unknown existence. The Bible gives us glimpses into the eternal realm, describing for us some of the realities of what our eternal state will be. With that being said, however, I believe it's important, I want to encourage you today to make sure that your understanding of the hereafter is driven by the Bible and not by some pop theology that we have today, books that have dotted the landscape in recent years. And so this morning, I would encourage us to turn our attention to the words of God, to the last book of the Bible, to catch a, a glimmer of what God has in store for us. So hopefully you found your way to the book of Revelation today. We'll be in the 21st chapter. I will read the first four verses of Revelation chapter 21, here beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Father, I'm grateful for the word of God. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of what eternity will look like. I pray, Father, that you would help us to make sure that our understanding of, of that hereafter is guided not by what our philosophers have said, guided not by what popular authors have said, but that it is first and foremost guided and informed by the Word of God. Lord, we love you and we're grateful for 
your kindness in showing us these things. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. As we consider this idea of glory, as we consider this notion of, of God bringing all things to a fitting close and ushering in the eternal state, there's a few things this morning that I think it is important for us to consider. The first thing it's important for us to gather here from Revelation chapter 21 is this. Eternity is going to be a physical place as well as a spiritual state of being. Look again at verse 1. The Apostle John says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Sadly, one of the consequences of our pop theology today is that we really do struggle in this area. There are many well-meaning Christians who, if you were to ask them their understanding of, of death and the afterlife, their answers might come up lacking. Again, it's important that we base our answers on the Word of God, not on what other people have said. And we understand that there's certainly a lot of things that we don't know. Uh, if we don't say that, we're being very dishonest with ourselves and with others. There's much that we do not know. But the things that we do know can help to dispel much of the bad thinking that has gotten into our minds. You see, we either have in our mind this, this picture of a place where every golf ball that's hit makes it into the hole, or where every cast lands a trophy bass. Or we have this image of naked babies with wings floating around playing their harps in the clouds. Now, while I cannot confirm the presence or the absence of golf or fishing in eternity, in fact, I can't even deny the, the existence of naked babies floating around. We're not told that information. However, if that is our focus, we have indeed missed the point. I, I won't lie. These, these human constructs of eternity living in the clouds or, or being on an eternal golf vacation they leave me very unsatisfied. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy a, a vacation, not necessarily a golf vacation. I enjoy a vacation as much as the next guy, but I don't want to spend the rest of my life on vacation. I understand that, that God has created us as his image bearers with, with meaning and, and with purpose. And, and while a, a trip to the beach certainly sounds refreshing, while sitting and listening to the surf lap at the, lap at the shore is certainly an inviting offer to do that forever is unsatisfying because God's not created us to sit on the beach and listen to the surf for eternity. He's created us with purpose and meaning. So we want to make sure that our understanding of eternity is informed by the Bible, which means that we need to recognize that our hope is not based in going to heaven. Our hope, we are told very clearly, is based in the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 makes it very clear that that's where our hope as Christians lies. Our hope is in the resurrection. There is coming a day, listen, where the dead in Christ will be raised, where all those who have passed away, who were Christians when they died, they will be granted perfected, resurrected bodies. There is an awesome, every time I go by a cemetery and I look out at that cemetery, I think of the day that the dead in Christ will rise, that those tombs will open, and out will come resurrected, perfected bodies that will be reunited with those souls that once belonged to them. They will be physical bodies, just like the body of Jesus after his resurrection was a physical body. 
However, courtesy of Greek philosophy and Renaissance art, we have this vision of an eternal state that's sort of this ethereal disembodiment. But that is not the final outcome of God's eternal plan. All those who are perished in Christ, the Bible clearly teaches us that they are absent from the body, but they are present with Christ. However, there is coming a day in which they are granted new, perfected bodies at the resurrection, and we're told that those who are alive in Christ at that time, that they will be transformed in what the Bible calls a twinkling of the eye. As soon as you can blink, those who are alive will be transformed, and they will be granted those resurrection bodies as well. And then we will use those perfected physical bodies to inhabit a creation that has been remade into sinless perfection, free from the effects of the curse. John saw it. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. In his original creation, God created us in his image exactly how he wanted us to be. Adam and Eve were perfect in their created state. They were the perfect union of the material and the immaterial. He created them exactly how, they, how he wanted them to be. However, because of sin, death entered into the world. And that's why death is such a formidable enemy. Think about what death does. It seeks to undo us by separating the material from the immaterial. It seeks to undo how God designed us by separating those, those, those two different dynamics. But that's not how God originally designed us. He designed us as a fusion of the material and the immaterial. At death, we understand the material is left behind, but the immaterial is brought into the presence of Christ. At the resurrection, the material and the immaterial are restored. And we are restored in a perfectly restored creation, which John was given the privilege to see, the new heaven and new earth. And this is what the prophet Isaiah saw as well in Isaiah 65. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We know it will be a new creation because in the new creation, you see things like, like Isaiah saw wolves and lambs grazing together. Well, wolves don't really graze. They certainly don't graze beside lambs, but in the new creation, they will. Isaiah saw that the lion would eat straw like an ox. Again, lions don't typically eat straw, but in the new creation, they will. Why? Because death is no longer a part of the new creation. Now, this isn't an image that, that we get today of, of, of clouds and, and baby angels. This is an image of a, of a physical, real-world reality. It's something you can see. It's something you can smell, something you can touch. Our senses very much become a part of this experience. That means that our eternal state, according to the Word of God, is going to look more like Eden and much less like a toilet paper commercial or the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Isaiah saw and John saw a new heaven and a new earth remade in sinless perfection. So let me encourage you. The beauty of today, and man, we've got some beautiful things in this world. We were out yesterday in, in, down in the, the wildlife management area, found a waterfall, and it's just absolutely stunning, absolutely gorgeous. You can go up here just on top of Lookout Mountain at sunset, and you can see some of the most stunning sunsets that you can find anywhere in the world. You go all over beautiful places in the world, a magnificent mountain peak or a, a, a beautiful sunrise at the beach. 
And there's no doubt that you're looking at a gift from God. If you, if you don't find that, that the, the beauty of our natural world is not a gift from God, then you're not paying close enough attention. However, all of these gifts are stained by the curse. Every single one of them are, are colored by the sin, are colored by our condemnation. We're told that the eternal state will be a new heaven, a new earth, where the stain of the curse is washed away. And so that beauty that we see in this fallen world will pale in comparison to the beauty we see in a perfect world. And it will be a perfect physical world, not a disembodied state of cloud surfing that we sometimes like to imagine. I heard one pastor say it this way, and I really understand what he's saying. He says, so I mean this, I hope I don't end up in heaven when I die. And that's a terrifying statement to think about when you think about coming from the lips of a Christian. But listen to what he says. I hope that Christ comes to bring completion and consummation and that when he does, all those who've been adopted as sons and daughters of God will be finally and completely saved, justified, sanctified, glorified, redeemed, restored, renewed, and resurrected to live in the city of God on the new earth it's God's image bearers, both body and soul, the way we were created to be. And so instead of an image of floating in clouds with sweet baby angels and playing harps, the desire is a resurrected body and a new creation, living in this physical world that God intends for us to dwell in. Again, it's thoughts that are in many ways far beyond our ability to think and comprehend, but we certainly understand that reality. The second thing we need to understand, and this is important for us today, the, the new earth, this new creation will not be a place of danger or fear. One of the things that is affirmed here is, is there won't be fear. How do we know? Well, because look in, in verse, uh, verse 1 here. John talks about the new heaven and the new earth, and, and he, says, uh, he says, the sea was no more. Now, if you're one of these people who thinks of heaven as an eternal vacation and you were hoping for a time at the beach, I've got bad news for you that there is no sea in this new creation. What exactly is he talking about? Is the sea really all that bad? Well, you go down to verse 4 and you find that John expounding some things. He says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning or crying, pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Does that mean that there is no sea? Or that John didn't, simply did not see the sea? I can't answer that question, but what I can answer is the fact that to John, the sea, the ocean, represented a place of danger and fear. You know, even to this day, the, the ocean represents a, a vast amount of unknown. I've heard it said that we understand more about outer space than we actually understand about what's on the bottom of the ocean because of our inability to, to see and reach those depths. And so in John's day, it wasn't just that the ocean was, was unknown, it was downright scary. In John's day, what was in the ocean? You had sea monsters and storms that would destroy vessels. If you sailed out too far in John's day, what might happen? You might just go off the edge. So the ocean was a metaphor for that which is terrifying and unknown, that which is a source of great par par paralyzing fear. What kind of things do you fear today? What are your sources 
of anxiety. Listen, they don't exist in the new creation. There is no coronavirus in the new creation. There is no economic uncertainty in the new creation. There's no job loss in the new creation. There is no crime in the new creation. I'd be willing to bet you a brick from the streets of gold that the mansions don't even have locks on the doors in this new creation. I mean, for crying out loud, even the Waffle House has locks on its doors here. I understand that this season in which we live, it's been one that has created more anxiety for more people than just about anything in most of our lifetimes. It happened fast, faster than most folks could prepare for. In spite of things opening back up, there, there doesn't seem to be any sort of end in sight. As hard as it's been for so many, this is the problem of living in a fallen world with sinners at the wheel. Jesus told us that we would have troubles, and so none of this should surprise us. We should not be caught off guard by the fact that we have entered into a season of testing and a season of difficulty. But one of the things that Jesus says when he promises us that we will be faced with challenges is that we should not lose heart because he's promised us that he has already overcome the world. Revelation 21 here says one day he will make a new world that will be free from all of the dangers and fears and trials that this world is wrought with. He's going to remake the world in sinless perfection. And so if this world has got you down, don't worry, there's a better one coming. And the last thing I want us to consider today as we scratch the surface of this very deep topic, we need to understand that sin will be a stranger in the new creation. You know, the promise of verse 3 sounds very strangely like the experience of Adam and Eve in the garden. Look at verse 3 in Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. You know, if you remember that span of time prior to the fall, back in the book of Genesis. We don't know how long they were in the garden prior to the fall. But if you remember what happened, God would literally, he would come and visit the garden and, and walk with Adam and Eve. Back in Genesis 3:8, you read these words. It says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let that verse sink in. It's one that we read over and over again, and sometimes its significance is lost. But let that verse simmer for a moment. It really is one of the most remarkable verses when you consider what it's saying. God, in all of his infinite perfections, would show up in a form that was visible, that Adam and Eve could, could behold. We're, we're told here that, that he even made sounds as he walked. Who knows what sounds were made? Was he singing? Was he touching the leaves as he walked past? We're told that he did so in the cool of the day. Even the Lord appreciates a stroll in the evening. And it was so common that Adam and Eve could recognize the sound 
that he made. You ever been in that situation in the middle of the night where there's a sound that happens in the house? You know, if the ice maker dumps a load of ice in the refrigerator, you, you know what that sound is. If you hear a door slam, it's a little more concerning. You don't know what that sound is, but you hear the air conditioner kick on, and you don't jump out of bed startled because the air conditioner kicked on. It was a sound that you were familiar with. The sound of God walking in the garden was so familiar that Adam and Eve didn't, what was that? They knew it was God, and they hid themselves because of it. It was not unfamiliar to them. So you have this picture in the garden of of God coming into the midst of his people, dwelling there with them, taking a stroll in the cool of the evening. Yet after the fall, that was no longer their experience. Later, God would dwell with his people, but it would be through a manifestation of his glory on the Ark of the Covenant. In that season, God's presence was not available to his people. He was separated from the, from the people by a curtain. The only way one could enter into that presence was through the shed blood of an atoning sacrifice. Even then, the Israelites would tie ropes to the high priest's ankle in the event that he got in there and he wasn't right and he died, they could yank his body out. Later, God would dwell with us through the birth of his son, Jesus, Emmanuel. In the advent, though, Jesus put on flesh so that we could behold him. In this new creation, however, there is the sense of unfettered, unrestricted access to God, which is only made possible because the thing that separates human beings from God is their sin. And that sin has been dealt with once and for all through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so men and women, be encouraged that in spite of this world today, which is so flawed, so stained, so corrupted by the curse and by sin, we are looking forward to a day when God will make it all new again. That there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more grief, no more death. All those things we're told will have passed away. And so whatever mess you find yourself in today, however life in your situation is stained by the curse there's coming a day there's coming a day when all that is taken care of all those things have passed away there's something absolutely incredible in store so if you're a christian today be encouraged Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, that this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Listen, the hardships of this day, whatever they may be, are preparing us for the incredible wonder of that eternal day. If times are tough for you right now, as they are for so many people, you are not alone. But listen to me, child, on your worst, darkest day, you serve a God who has promised to walk with you even through the valley of the shadow of death, and he says you've got better days coming. In 10,000 years, your worst day in this life will not compare to the glory you will taste in the next. Be encouraged, church. 
in spite of the hardships, in spite of the difficult season in which we find ourselves, the church indeed will overcome. And we will all walk with Christ in this new creation. But listen today, if you are not a Christian, you need to understand something, that the only way you can know the glory of which the Bible speaks, the future of which is promised here, the only way you can taste the goodness of God in the glory of the new creation is to make sure that you've repented from sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus. It is only through Christ that you have access. It is only through Christ that you indeed will be in the presence of God forever and ever. It is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, as I have many weeks during this time of distancing, I would encourage you that if you've not put your faith and trust in Christ, that today would be the day in which you choose to repent from sin and trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Would you pray with me, please? God, I want to thank you for the promise of glory. I want to thank you for the day in which there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which the old things will pass away and we will get to walk and live in this incredible perfection of a new creation. Lord, I pray that you might help us as we seek to, to begin to put the pieces back together again in this creation. God, that we would always have an eye to the next, knowing that one day all the things that are wrong today will be right with you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.